just real quick before we begin, uh, there's some brief talk of sexual assault. Uh, so keep that in mind. If you decide to not listen, that's totally fine. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into the movie. Welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, review every single one of Hitchcock's feature-length films that were actually released in English in the order they were released. I say that because I just did some research. There's a movie coming up called Murder that was released also in another country in, in, in Dutch as a language under the name Mary. Does, does the word Mary mean murder in Dutch? Someone let me know. This episode, we cover the first ever talkie, the first one with actual sound, not just a, a score played over the, the top of a silent film, but in, in a movie with sound effects and spoken word. Can you believe it? Now, I want to play something for you real quick. Well, we finished earlier tonight than I expected. Yes. Going anywhere? I think so. So the next time I changed to another tailor. I found out that he was no better than the first. <laughs> I bought some pretty expensive cloth and took it to him. <laughs> yeah. So that's the first spoken words in any Hitchcock film. And it's about a guy who goes to the tailor. Not just a tailor, but a terrible tailor. Uh, this scene takes place eight minutes into our film. So the first eight minutes of the movie is still a silent movie. And I'm not even kidding. Uh, there are people who are mouthing, talking to one another and you hear no words. Uh, but it's also not accompanied by any uh, screenshot of text letting you know what's being said. There are sound effects, though, during this early first eight minutes where it's a silent film of car doors opening and. Uh, you know, traffic going by and things like that, glass breaking at one point. And uh, a, a lot of the time spent watching this movie, I felt like people like Hitchcock was doing with sound what people do in bad 3D movies. Like, ooh, look, my hands are reaching through the screen to touch you. And it was like that, but with sound. Listen to all the sounds. Uh, there's even one scene that has the loudest birds, I think, that have ever been in any movie ever, including Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. They are just ear-shatteringly loud. I had to turn my TV down. I also want to say this is the first time I've actually spent money to watch a movie uh, on this podcast. I, I rented this one from uh, Google Play, and uh, it was $4. Let me say something, though. How nice it is to have a movie with words to be able to look down at my phone and take notes and not worry about missing some other text on the screen. It it's really wonderful. And I'm wondering if in the same way that the pleasure garden being my first movie review gave me some positive fuzzies, if this one did the same, uh, but to be honest, this isn't a good movie. So no, it didn't. Uh, this movie's called blackmail and it came out in 19, 
29, the same year as all our previous ones. I think this is the last movie of his in the 20s. Uh, let me check. Yes, our next movie comes in 1930. Uh, so this movie is... I, okay, I'll get into it. Because at first I thought we had another love triangle on our hands, but thankfully that wasn't the case. So uh, the opening scene is the, uh, an arrest of these two officers arresting some crusty old guy who doesn't actually play into this. This entire scene, as I said, is silent. Nothing is said. Uh, there's, uh, like I said, there's some glass breaking in this scene, but they arrest this guy and take him back to jail. And that's when that first voice line I, you heard played. They're, they're like, oh, we finished up sooner than we expected, and I've got a bad tailor. Okay, so a lot of that is dubbed over the top of what I think is originally a... Uh, you know, footage from the silent version of this movie because there were two versions filmed. There was a silent version and then the one I watched and the silent version were for theaters in Britain that had not been equipped to handle audio, to handle talkies. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting uh, piece of, of history. Well, our uh, after getting off work, our... One of our protagonists, Frank, is an officer that just arrested this man who has nothing to do with the story. Uh, he goes to his girlfriend is waiting in the lobby. I don't know if they're I think they're girlfriends because I don't girlfriend, boyfriend, because I don't think they live together. Uh, she's waiting for him in the lobby to go to a dinner uh, where Frank uh, is telling her, hey, let's go to the movies. And she's OK with that. She's kind of a like whatever on this guy. Uh, to the point she sees, she actually has a note on her that there'll be a, a another gentleman who will be at the restaurant at 630. Now, I don't know why, though. Like, why is she meeting this guy here with her husband? I don't know. But so this dude comes up that she's interested in, even though she's with her boyfriend or husband. Essentially, she blows off Frank's plans. Ah, never mind. I don't want to go to the movies. He gets pissed and says, well, I'll go by myself then. You're not going to ruin my evening. He leaves and he sees that Alice, his girlfriend, is leaving the restaurant with this other gentleman. Uh, he doesn't confront them. He just kind of lets it go. Uh, this guy takes Alice back to his place and they have a little discussion outside and he talks her into coming upstairs, uh, even though she, I, it's hard to tell, like she's doing it playfully saying that maybe she doesn't trust him, but she kind of does. And they go up to his apartment and he's a painter. Uh, he's, he's credited in this movie as the artist. Uh, so he doesn't actually, he's not actually given a name. And when they get upstairs, you can see some of his artwork. And there's this painting of this clown pointing and laughing, uh, which at first she's like, hey, that's a great picture. But later on in the movie, she's traumatized anytime she looks at this picture. They're kind of wandering around, having a couple drinks in his apartment. And he's got a piano and he starts playing some music. And this is kind of what I was saying. Like, uh, they're looking for any opportunity to put sound to really show off this new technology of being able to watch a movie with sound in it. So he plays some songs and sings and she finds a dress that is there, I guess, to use for modeling, like for any models he has at his apartment for modeling for paintings. And she kind of asks if he thinks that she would look good in it. 
And he's like, yeah, you should put it on. She's like, nah, I'm good. And then he just like, uh, reverse psychology her. He's like, yeah, you probably couldn't pull it off anyway. And she's like, I bet I could. Nah, you probably couldn't. And he goes back to playing the piano. She goes, okay, fine. She changes into it and models it. And you can tell he's checking her out. And she goes to, he kind of approaches her and he, he forces a kiss on her. Now in these movies, a lot of times that's how kisses are. The guy just kind of grabs and goes, but she pushes him off. She's like, whoa, why are you going with now? Okay. I don't want to say that I'm victim blaming here. Okay. That's not the case. But why are you running off with some dude when you already have a guy if you're not trying to get some action? Now, again, I'm not trying to victim shame. What he does is inexcusable. But I thought she was trying to get laid. I might edit this out. I don't know. Because it sounds it sounds bad as I'm saying it. But either way, when she says no, no means no, that should be it. Get your hands off, you artist guy, you piece of crap. And this guy is a true asshole. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to go. I, now, But here's the problem. It took her several minutes to change. And I'm not even kidding. Because the whole time he's playing a song to change out of what she wore there into this weird outfit. And now she wants to leave. She can't do it in a hurry now because she's wearing this stupid outfit that she has to change back in her original outfit. And uh, so she tries to do that while she's getting out of the stupid dress. He takes her original outfit and hides it from her to where she kind of has to peek around the corner and she's in her underwear. Now, this is 1920s underwear, so it's not particularly provocative to our standards, but I guess it would be to theirs. Uh, and he throws her dress and then uh, she gets mad at him, but he grabs her and he starts to sexually assault her. This guy is a real piece of shit. I apologize. I haven't cursed on this podcast yet, but he has rapey all over him. Like the way he manipulates her into changing, the way he manipulates her into staying, uh, the way he touches her. And he's just a real bag of garbage. Uh, so I don't feel bad when he's trying to sexually assault her. She grabs a knife and kills this dude. You don't actually see the stabbing, but you see her grab the knife. And then next thing you know, she comes out of the bedroom and she's got a bloody knife and his arm is hanging out. So it's pretty obvious he's dead. And she did it in self-defense. She's in no way in the wrong here. This guy needed to be stabbed. Now, this seems like the first time I can say, hey, this is Alfred Hitchcock because and like I said, we're going into this scene. I'm thinking we got us another love triangle. Whoop-dee-doo. We got a Frank over there who is uh, currently dating Alice. And Alice is interested in the artist. And I'm like, here we go again. Another one of these. Fortunately, that doesn't happen because he gets murdered. And now we actually have something else going on. Uh, something very Hitchcockian. So there's a long silence after she kills this guy and she's just kind of shocked. And, and, oh, I should mention the actor playing Alice is the same 
actress who was in the previous movie uh, playing, oh gosh, I can't remember her name, but she played the, the female lead in the previous movie, if you're listening to this right afterwards. Anyway, but she, uh, I mentioned in the previous movie, she does dead eyes when she's kissing um, her husband in that movie because she's not actually in love with him. And she's able to really convey shock uh, after having to kill this man to protect herself. And that scene just kind of drags as she gets her clothes. So like it's, it reminded me of the scene in psycho where after the most famous murder, he, there's a long time spent in silence where he's just cleaning up. And that's what this scene is now. She's just kind of getting ready. She's covering her track. She's got it. She's still wearing that stupid outfit. Well, she's actually in her underwear at this point. So she still has to get dressed. And one of the things they did before all this, bad stuff happened is they painted a picture together and she signed her name on it. So she has to go back and, and cover that up to prove that, you know, to hide the proof that she was there. And, uh, she leaves and goes home as she's leaving his apartment. You see a shadowy figure, just the shadow of this guy's hat as he's approaching the building. Now, I've skipped some things that are pretty key because now this really becomes a mystery to a degree. Well, I mean, there's no question who killed the the artist. But as when they first start getting to the apartment, the artist actually gets a note and he goes to the landlady and says, who gave you this note for me? Because uh, you, you don't ever see what's on it. But uh, the landlady had given it to him and she he just asked who stopped by. And this becomes important later. Also, in a previous scene, they're at uh, when Frank and Alice are at dinner. She leaves her gloves at another table. So they make a point of letting you know that Frank knows what her gloves look like. And the reason that's important is because, as we establish, Frank is a police officer. He's a detective. And he gets assigned to the murder of the artist. And as he's going around the apartment, he finds one of Alice's gloves that she accidentally left behind. And he decides to protect her by hiding the glove, even though she, I don't know what the rules are in the twenties, the late twenties. And if there is such a thing as a self-defense, uh, you know, murder, uh, you know, like if she can get off on self-defense because that's what happened. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So he hides this, uh, so that there's no evidence that she's been there. Uh, but he only finds one glove. Uh, Alice, we're cutting back and Alice is back home and she's part of a family that owns like this shop, this store, sort of a convenience store. Uh, but she runs upstairs before her mom sees her and gets in bed and her mom wakes her up thinking that she's been in bed all night. Obviously she hasn't, she had just gotten home and she gets changed and goes downstairs and there's a bunch of people talking about the murder already. You know, they say, we oh, have you heard there's been a murder down the street, a murder, murder, murder. Uh, and of course she knows what happened. And there's a scene where there, there's a woman talking about, oh, he's killed by a knife, knife, this and knife that and knife over there. And she just says knife 300 times. And while they're doing this, our pro uh, Alice is like freaking out and trying to cut a cake with a knife and she drops the knife and throws it at a guy. And it's not a great scene, uh, but she's clearly got some PTSD 
after having to defend herself. Frank comes to this store and comes by to see Alice. And, uh, you know, again, he's already found the glove. And he pulls Alice aside into this phone booth, which, of course, has glass so people can see right in. And he shows her that he has the glove and that, uh, you know, he knows that she was there, but he's going to protect her. As she gets, as both of them get out of this phone booth, in walks the squirrely guy. All right. He, he's short. He's ugly. He's got a comb over and a hat and he's dumpy looking. All right. And uh, he just starts kind of making small talk with uh, Frank and, and Alice. And he he goes up front and he asks for a cigar, the most expensive cigar you have in the place. And the, the proprietor, who is Alice's father, is like, absolutely right away, excited to make this sale. And he lights it up and starts smoking it. And he's like, oh, uh, he shows frank that he has the other glove and he says so this squirrely guy was that shadowy figure that went into the apartment after alice left and his name is mr tracy and he found one of the gloves which is the evidence and he said i looked everywhere for the other glove but clearly you as a detective did a better job finding it it was just laying on the floor it wasn't exactly hidden uh but he uses this to to show, hey, I got some leverage over you. Hence the name of the movie. It's blackmail, right? <laughs> Here's what's funny. What this guy actually gets out of Frank is a cigar, a breakfast, and maybe like a hundred bucks. That's it. It's not exactly top tier blackmail. But he, he, he gets that cigar and he's like, oh, I forgot my wallet. And it just starts small. And he goes, Frank, could you pay for this for me? And Frank obliges. And then he's like, you know, I'm pretty hungry. And so they take him to the back and he, uh, Alice says, mom, just get the guy some food. He's hungry. He's a, he's a good friend of, of Frank's. It's Mr. Tracy. You have to get him this. And so, okay, but already people don't like this guy. Like there's a scene where uh, he's got his own room at this, I guess it's a bed and breakfast that her family owns. And her mom's like, how long is this turd biscuit going to be here? Because he's really annoying and we're giving him free lodging and free food just because he's Frank's friend. Yeah, mom, just back off. Okay. That's the whole deal. As... Mr. Tracy's eating his breakfast in front of Frank. Frank gives him some money and he's like, ha ha ha, blah, blah, blah. Frank gets a phone call. Uh, he's approached by uh, Alice's dad to go downstairs and, and, and take a phone call. And you don't hear the contents of the phone call, but come to find out that uh, there's a scene where they're actually interviewing the landlady who worked in the artist's apartment, uh, who ran the artist's apartment. And she... They find a letter he that he was left, the artist was left, and they ask, who gave this to you to give to him? And she describes the squirrely guy, Mr. Tracy, who actually has a criminal record already. He gets this phone call, uh, Daniel, blanking on his name, Frank does, and now he's got something on this guy, and he starts to play hardball goes in the back he goes uh hey uh, mr tracy turns out that there was a 
person with a criminal record hanging around the artist's place uh, last night that was seen there. And when he gets in this room, he tells Alice, Alice, lock that door. We don't want this dude going anywhere. And he says, uh, we got a. Let me pull up my notes. I'm starting to blank. So one of the things you don't hear as uh, Frank has taken that phone call is that he's essentially said, yeah, he's here. You can come and get him. So he calls in the police to come and get Mr. Tracy. Uh, so now he's going to try to pin everything on Mr. Tracy. He's going to pin this murder that is not even a murder. I keep saying it is, but it's not a murder. She defended herself and he's going to pin it on Mr. Tracy. And he starts to tell him this, hey, you've got a record. You know, whose word are they going to believe, yours or mine? He's, and he's like, well, Mr. Tracy still keeps trying to play hardball, but Frank's not having it. At this point, he, he knows he's friends with the police. He's on the squad. Uh, so he knows he's going to be able to pass this charge to him. And as the police show up, Mr. Tracy just straight runs through a window. You You don't see it, and I wish you did. But you don't, you just hear the glass break. And the next thing you know, they cut, they turn the camera back and you see him, he's already out the window and it's broken. So we get a police chase and, uh, there's a car chase. It's hardly a chase because Mr. Tracy has taken a taxi cab that is being pursued by the police. They end up at what a, a like a planetarium. And I don't know if you know what this is, but uh, a planetarium is this like big domed building where they do like starlight shows and stuff. Anyway, he climbs to the top of this. And as he gets to the top, he realizes he's cornered. That's Mr. Tracy. And he starts to point to the cops and says, whoa, 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 you really need to be looking at. And he starts to, he's about to blame Alice and Frank when he falls through the top of the roof. That's like a glass roof. And he falls several stories and dies. While this is happening, Alice is back home and she doesn't want to false to Alice. Alice is actually a pretty good. She has a couple mistakes she makes. You know, she probably shouldn't be running off with some dude. Uh, you know, when you're already in a relationship, but that's a character flaw, but largely she tries to do what's best. And she doesn't want to blame this guy who's already trying to blackmail them. Right. So if you try to blackmail me, I'll probably try to put you in jail for something you didn't do. I'll be honest. How dare you, sir? But she's not like that. She's much nicer than I am, I guess, because she says she writes a note to Frank saying, hey, I'm going to turn myself in because I don't want this guy to be charged for something he didn't do. And she goes to the police station and goes into the investigator's office, but Frank's already there and she's about to confess when the investigator gets a call. And she, at this point, doesn't know that Mr. Tracy has died. Uh, as the investigator gets the call, he kind of passes her off onto Frank. Hey, go take her, uh, her, what do you call it? Her statement out there. And, uh, he uses this time to tell her, Hey, you don't have to worry about anything. He's, dead we're just going to let him take the blame you're free and in the lobby of this police place is that clown painting i talked about and the clown's pointing and laughing and she sees it and starts to have anxiety and but this guy at the front makes this joke because 
he said his wife like Alice had come in to say to tell them who had done it and he assumes that she had done that and this turn in the front lobby's like oh pretty soon she'll be having your job and him and Frank just laughed their butts off <laughs> and we cut and it's the end of the movie this movie's okay I guess like it really it's a, a, a about a hundred and not a hundred it's about 80 minutes 88 minutes long and it moves pretty quick like an hour in they're just now getting blackmailed but you had murder and murder <laughs> that's really about it but we finally had murder in although there was that one gunfight in that one movie that was horrible easy virtue anyway murder happens and it's it, we're really finally seeing hitchcock and it's and another thing i should mention as far as seeing hitchcock he does have a cameo in this and I had mentioned earlier I was going to try to tell you when the cameos appear, but I missed one. He apparently had a cameo in Easy Virtue, but he also has an unmissable cameo here uh, on a train where he's got some of the kid that's annoying him. So uh, a very young looking Mr. Hitchcock. Um, this movie's not better than uh, the previous one. And uh, the previous one, of course, being uh, The Mannix Man which was a silent film. So to not be as good as a silent film, you've got to try harder. The story just wasn't as compelling. Well, I, mm, the story was entertaining. It just wasn't as well told, I should say, because the, it moves along at a good clip. Um, the acting's not bad, especially considering these are really the first time actors are not only having to act with their bodies but act with their voices and i want i often wonder i think like i heard this somewhere and i could be wrong but that in these early days they would have other actors voice over the silent actors i could totally be wrong but i swear i heard that somewhere anyway uh but that's our first talkie we've done it we're we're in the 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 i don't want to say downhill because we're still at the first 10 of these movies but uh it was so much easier to watch it's amazing that they invented this technology and i'm glad they did because doing a podcast just about silent movies would be the worst possible thing i can think of well between this movie and his next one he does a couple shorts which i'm not doing the shorts i'm just doing feature length english movies uh but the next one is called juno and the Paycock, J-U-N-O and the Paycock. This is currently on Amazon Prime Video if you wanted to watch along. Uh, so, and that one comes out in 1930. So we're in, we're moving into a new decade. We're kind of creeping close to the uh, Depression. Actually, when did the Depression start? Hey, Google, when did the Great Depression start? From August 1929 to March 1933. So actually 1929, we might already be in the depression, but they don't mention anything about the depression in this. So, so the depression starts in 1929. So the next movie we watch will be full on in the depression. So we'll see if there's anything that is notable there. Uh, I do want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Excuse me. I do want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. Check out the link. You'll find a Discord link that'll take you to the Budget Arcade Discord where you can find me. And until our next episode, 
I'm signing off with my sign-off phrase. Uh, Scott, a friend of mine and other co-hosts of uh, uh, Budget Arcade had said mine sign-off should be Cuddles New All Along as it is the sign-off of the first movie that Hitchcock did, The uh, Pleasure Garden. But I just don't think it works for me. So uh, we'll see you on the next episode.